Welcome to It's a Nice Place to Brew with Jason and George, a show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please broadcast responsibly. Welcome to A Nice Place to Brew. I'm Jason. And I'm George. I'd like to welcome George back to the studio. Ah, uh, you know, I just couldn't stay away. Second show in a row. I like where this is going. Yeah, I don't know if we can make it a regular thing. I, I am, I'm here on the auspices of my company, and I'm not sure that they're going to be okay with me flying in and out just to visit my team, quote-unquote. And, and, oh, I beg, yeah. to, I, I, I beg to differ. I, I see this as a very strong possibility. Ah, I see. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I'll see what happens. So come on, folks. Make some noise. George George visits once a month for to be in studio for every show. Let's let's get it started. <laughs> yeah, you can start a GoFundMe. I'll uh, start a GoFundMe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get some sponsorship or something, and then and then we can talk about it. <laughs> Anyways, welcome back. It is at the time of this recording. It is uh, January 2019. Um, we've we've timed this appropriately, and. Uh, Yes, we uh, are able to record in studio for the second show in a row. And George, I'm thrilled to have you back here. Although, of course, you pick the coldest week of the year to Good be Lord. here in Chicagoland. Well, it, and it's like I, I, like I said, I'm in for business, and I told everybody there, I was like, "Look, I moved away from Chicago for a reason, and this is pretty <laughs> much it. I'm, I'm not supposed to be here at this time." What is the temperature currently? Here, yes, like no degrees, like like no zero, degrees, yes. yeah. <laughs> and if you look like over the next five days, it's just cold, then ridiculously cold, then more cold, and then eight inches of snow. Right, yeah. That's pretty much the next week here. In, I want to go back in, to my fifty degree weather. I, <laughs> I'm okay. With that. I don't blame you, sir, <laughs> but I'm thrilled to have you here nonetheless. Yeah. So, anyways, um. We're gonna move right into uh, segment number one. We got uh, we've got a full show lined up. Um, we're gonna talk, we've got other uh, beers to review. Uh, we've got uh, barley wine, American barley wine, as our recipe wizard. Uh, that's BJCP twenty two C. And then in segment number three, we we're gonna talk about uh, cleanliness. So we've got uh, we've got a full uh, got, got a got a full show here. So <laughs> yeah. we say we just uh, plow on and get started. Well, and something else unique about this show is this will be the soberest show you have heard from us, most likely. And I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I guess I guess we'll see. Yes. We're going to find out. The yeah. time of this recording is currently noon on a Saturday, which is not a typical recording time for us. It is not. And, and that's not to say that noon on a Saturday can't be a good drinking time. It absolutely can be, but... We're supposed to jump into a car, go do things, and then go jump into the car again, go do more things. It so, is it is a full day we have in front yeah, of us. Yeah, we don't we don't we don't we do not advocate drinking and driving. So we are going to model that behavior as well. Well said. Well said. <laughs> I have a teacup in front of me right now rather than a uh uh beer glass. So yes, this may be a very different show. It might be. Yeah. Yeah. Guess we'll uh guess we'll see. Other brewers reviewed. You want to kick us off? Sure. So last week in what was decidedly not our soberest show, I did. We talked about the a new up and coming style called a brute IPA, which yes, we does did. not have a BJCP um, number 
at at the time of these recordings. I think anything that you would enter into a competition would have to be entered into the experimental category if they allow that. Probably. Um, but nevertheless, it is a style that's kind of out there. Um, so I was curious as I'm making one myself right now. It's actually in my keg, getting all fermenty and good. Not so. Actually, it's already done the fermenting. It's getting all carbonated and good. Uh, I picked up a, an example from a pretty solid brewery called New Belgium. I'm sure a bunch of you are uh, familiar with it. They're out of uh, Colorado, national one. Fairly prominent Fairly brewery. prominent. Yeah, they make, you know, fat tire and... and dragon's milk. Dragon's milk and... Oh, they, that's right, they do make dragon's milk. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, um, so I picked up their brewed IPA because I wanted to try some other uh, examples of the style. And I, you know what? Honestly, it was pretty good. Actually, I'm pretty much currently in love with this style at the, at the moment because here's the uh, description on Beer Advocate. It's bubbly, dry, crisp, and refreshing. Brute IPA is inspired by our favorite sparkling wines with a hint of tropical fruits and champagne this effervescent brew is the perfect cheers to the new year. I don't know about all that New Year's nonsense, but the I think the, it's fitting. The rest of it is completely true. I mean, it was it's more carbonated than you would typically find for a beer. Sure. And um, but it's super dry. And and the part I like about it is it has all the best elements of IPA without all the IPA nonsense <laughs> to use the, the a politically correct word um, well said yeah it's not you don't get that like bitter cloying kind of aftertaste that you get from some of the ipas but you still get all those fruity notes you still get all that slightly bitter taste and that hop nose um and all that sings through pretty well in the uh brute ipa style a- and in the new belgium beer and you know they say it's sessionable like an IPA and it is but you know at six and a half percent you're pushing that a little bit and you know one or two get you where you're going unless you're a seasoned beer warrior (laughs) does it say on there what the IBUs are did I miss that uh you know let me see I'm looking here because I uh could not find the um page on on another one because it's a relatively new one. No, it doesn't say what the IBUs is, but I'll see if I can find that. Interesting. Okay. Let me see if Untapped has it. I will echo. Um, I will echo the note that you made about the Brute IPA. I am quickly becoming a fan of this as well. And since the last show, I've had a couple of uh, Brute IPAs uh, made here in the area, and I I think it's I think they're solid. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've I've seen I've had a number of really strong exa- examples of it. It'll be interesting over the next probably year to 18 months to see if they revamp the BJCP and include a category for this. It will be. Um, So looking at it, it is uh, untapped, which, again, is community-driven, says that the IBUs are 55. Okay. So a little bit higher than, say, the Hailstorm one or the recipe that I made, which is, you know, around 25.30. But, you know, still it's not overwhelming in this. Good deal. All right. What was the name of that beer again? It's just called Brute IPA. Just Brute IPA yeah, from they New Belgium. From New Belgium. They didn't give it a fancy name. All right. Good deal. Mm-hmm. 
we're going to move from a Brute IPA to an Imperial Stout. I had a beer in December that has eluded me for a long time. This is a beer that has come up in conversation many times. And, George, you probably will recognize this by just uh, just by its name. Uh, the beer is called Tenfitty. Ten, oh, ten fifty! I haven't heard. Yeah. I haven't thought about that in a long time. By Oscar Blues Brewing Company out of Long Longmont, Colorado. Recognize it? I do. Yeah, absolutely. Have you yeah. had it before? I have, but not in a long time. Okay, all right. This, yeah, I feel like I'm one of the last remaining beer nerds anywhere that has not tried this because I mean, this is this has come up in many many circles uh, as far as being. You know, somewhat of a a pretty recognizable imperial stout. Mm-hmm. You know, among among beers out there. So, I, I'm not even forgive me. I'm not even sure where I was when I tried this, <laughs> which you know may clue you into what kind of night it was. But um, honestly, I gave this uh, I gave this beer a three point seven five on Untapped out of uh, out of five. Um, the just the details here that uh, I think are I think paint a pretty clear picture. It's described as this Titanic immensely vicious stout is loaded with uh, imitable flavors of chocolate covered caramel and coffee and high to hefty 65 IBUs underneath a smooth blanket of malt. It is made with enormous amounts of two row malt, chocolate malt, roasted barley, flaked oats, and hops. Wow. There's a lot going on there. There is a lot going on there. Yeah. Um, is it the best Imperial Stout I've ever had? No. But honestly, I, I thought it was a solid beer. Yeah. And, you know, what is it about Imperial Stouts, or Stouts really in general, that when you add flaked oats, boom. Like, that's a whole nother level for me. It's it's the body. Yeah. That, that, I, that's that's where the it creaminess and, yeah. you know, it just, not to mention the mash. It makes the mash, like, just be, smell awesome and look great and just other positive adjectives yeah yeah (laughs) pause take care of that and we're back from that little interruption um I will say on the onset that there's a little bit of background noise, and I, I'll attribute that to uh, to my furnace. And as we said on the top of the show, we're in the midst of the coldest week of the year, and it's just simply too cold to turn my furnace <laughs> off. So I apologize ahead of time for the background noise. I'll hope you forgive us. I hope I'll uh, hope you stay with us and uh, and keep us through the end of the show. We'll try to do a bunch of talking so it drowns it out, and yeah. you guys don't have to hear it. As there much. you go. Yeah. No no, no so. breaks. We'll just we'll keep the we'll pace real fast. We'll just we'll be all over it, and yeah. maybe we'll be extra loud too. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking about the the imperial stouts and adding in those uh, those flaked oats. Yep. Which is like just a staple for me when I make a stout. Like it has to have flaked oats in it. Okay. It just because of the you know the change that it makes on it, and I think that that's, I, I you know I obviously there, without them you can make other styles, but for some reason for me that's just that's just part of it. Like it just has to be there because that that texture and that body is is what makes a stout a good stout for me. 
I'm glad we're talking about this. Next time I, I make a stout, that's I'm going to use that. Yeah. I know that was a staple for you and I during our brew days whenever we'd make a stout. Mm-hmm. I want to say I've made two, maybe three since that time, and I have not used oats in any of them. Yeah. So and and I feel like it is especially the most recent one, the one that we we had last time you were out here. I think that could have made the difference on that because Ooh, part, yeah. part of the critique of that beer is the body was a little bit lighter than it should have been. Yeah. I mean, it was still definitely within the stout range, but it was oh, a little yeah. bit lighter than I think that either of us were expecting. Right. So that could right. make all the difference there. That really and, makes me want to just redo that whole that whole batch with that. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm serious. I, I, I get it. You know, you're, it's cold and you're a stout guy. So. I am. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so ten, uh, 1050 from Oscar Blues Brewing Company out of Longmont, Colorado. There you go. All right. Um, so you said it with such confidence that you just sucked me in, and it is close in the name, but New Belgium doesn't make dragon's milk. It's New Holland. Oh, yeah, and and I, so when I was I <sighs> I looked I pulled it up here and I was like, oh right 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 no it's New Holland, but he's just so confident, you know. <sighs> but <laughs> but. New, New Belgium is the one in Wisconsin, right? Colorado. New Belgium is New Belgium's in, in Colorado. God, okay, I'm bad. New Holland is in Michigan. New Holland is in Michigan? Yeah. New Oh, oh New Glarus is the one. New Glarus is, is, is the one in Wisconsin. Yeah, and and they're the one like I have this I'm losing credibility by the second <laughs> right now. This is not good. New Glarus is the one that makes that uh that cow tipper. That I've never had because for some reason I don't know who in Illinois hurt them, but they refuse to distribute in Illinois. And I don't know what it was. I don't know. Like I said, whoever hurt New Glarus, you apologize. <laughs> and <laughs> but you know, consequently, I've never had what is arguably in some circles the best stout out there, which is you know cow tipper. It is. It's widely praised. Yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, let's. Uh, so, going back to the reason why I bring up Dragon's Milk in New Holland is actually my second beer that I'm reviewing. And I'm not reviewing standard Dragon's Milk because, you know, been there, we've been there and we've done that. But what I have at my house that I really enjoyed was one of their reserve versions All that right. they, they took and they've added stuff to the Dragon's Milk. In this case, it's cherry chocolate Dragon's Milk. Oh yeah, nah, nice. and it's as good as you are are thinking in your head. So it, it's it's cherry chocolate. It's eleven percent at thirty one IBUs, uh, but you really don't get the hops at all. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it it really has a good balance of the cherry flavor, the chocolate flavor, and the roasted flavor of the um, of the stout along with all the typical body and everything that you would expect from it. Um, you know, at 11%, I could only do, like, one, and then I was where I was going, but that was... Uh, <laughs> Did it, was it in a tw- uh, in a in 12-ounce bottles? It's in 12-ounce bottles, yeah. One of those four-packs? Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Yeah, they do their reserves in the in the four-packs. Um, yeah, and it was, it was quite good. I was sitting on a... Uh, on a back porch in Tennessee. All right. Yeah, and and drinking that. <laughs> That's a good day. Yeah. I uh, that that brought uh, brought a memory back right when you started talking about that because 
I uh, I got to try two different variants of the Dragon's Milk Reserve last year. Oh yeah, and um, strangely enough, I just found out uh, found those that I had um, reviewed on Untapped and gave a rating to. And ironically, I tried these and reviewed them on Groundhog Day last year <laughs> of all times. And honestly, we're, we're I mean we're a week away from Groundhog we Day are, now too. Aren't we? Yeah, I wonder what that stupid rodent's gonna do. I don't know. Yeah, but anyways, the two the, the two reserves that I had was uh, the s'mores. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've had that one. And then the salted caramel. I've not had that one, but it's interesting to me. Was it? They were both just fantastic. Nice. Just fantastic. As a matter of fact, I was, because we ran into, um, we ran ran into a form of dragon's milk just just yesterday when we We were, uh, no, not yesterday, two days ago. Two days ago. Yeah. And I asked the question because we may be coming up on this and I just haven't come across it, but... I'm I'm not too sure if this uh, the reserve is a standard annual release that comes out at, at a fixed time frame like like Bourbon County does, but um, I guess to close that out and um, yeah, I would greatly look forward to um, uh, getting to try more reserve this year. Yeah, if, it, if indeed so. it, it does rele- release on a calendar schedule like that. Well, and just to just a note on the one that I reviewed, they also have a cherry and a chocolate cherry. So they are two different things. There is a straight cherry. There's a cherry, and then there's a chocolate cherry. Man. Yeah, and I had the chocolate cherry. Man, that sounds delicious. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those that if you had a bowl of vanilla bean ice cream, you could consider just like pouring it on top. Oh, the, the, <laughs> you would you'd be hard pressed to find a beer that was better suited for that. Yeah. All right, ready for my last one? Yep. All right. Okay. So I discovered a brewery, uh, a Chicago area brewery, uh, within the last month, and somehow this is a brewery that el- eluded me for a long time. I'm talking about Maplewood Brewing Company from the northwest side of Chicago. I've not had it either. Yeah, I, I knew about it. I I never I've never visited there. I still haven't, and uh, I don't think I had tried anything of theirs. But um, it was after work one day. I was having drinks with a couple of coworkers, and they happened to have a Maplewood beer on their menu. It was a beer, uh, and it was a it was a beer called Brownie Points, which is a 5.7 percent ABV brown ale. Okay. Um, this was the second uh, beer that I had had during this during this sitting, and here's all I got to say about it. This was one of the best malt forward brown ales I've ever had. It just worked. Ooh. It really did. I mean, it wasn't overly heavy. It wasn't overly light. The hops were not overwhelming. It was just. It, it was an amazingly well balanced brown ale. With a little bit of sweet notes, which I'm a fan of, and it just it just worked for me. It was it was exactly what I wanted at that at that moment. So, on a scale of none to crazy ex girlfriend, how nutty was it? Because to me, <laughs> when I think of brown ale, I think of like a nutty kind of note to it as well. Well, let me give you let me give you the description here. This is decently long what they have yeah, here. It is. Okay. <laughs> a legendary creature of folklore. Brownies were spirit beings that lived throughout the British Isles. Oh boy. This is going oh some boy. crazy places. At one time every family had a brownie to aid with housework in exchange for a payment of oats. When the family brewed, the brownie demanded some ale, 
but if a payment was missed, the brownie became infuriated and created <laughs> havoc. Yeah, no, fairies in, in English folklore are oh no joke, man. <laughs> okay, moving on. This northern English-style brown ale was brewed to satisfy the brownie. Full of malty chocolate and toffee uh, flavors, this beer drinks easy and finishes bold yet crisp. Oats are used to lend a creamy body and mouthfeel, like we were just talking about with the uh, with the stouts. I'm saying. Yeah. So it sounds like it wouldn't be super nutty. Not not super nutty. Okay. Please don't forget to earn some brownie points and share. <laughs> it's the only way to avoid the wrath of the brownie. Hey, you got to do what you got to do. That's, that's, one of the more, <laughs> that's one of the more creative... Um, style details i've seen on untapped yeah yeah no i hear you uh okay well yeah so that'd be an interesting uh brown ale yeah to try to try where'd you find that you said up uh, north side yeah did they distribute or is it all tap room uh i had it in a tap room i'm not certain if they have i, sh- I should i'm not certain how much distribution they have okay. i feel like i have seen cans of theirs around i could i'm i don't remember offhand where and you said it was maple hill maple wood maple wood yeah okay it's uh it's on the northwest side right off of i-90 okay so brownie points big mm. fan all right that takes care of other brews reviewed segment number two barley wine category 22c mm-hmm we got a lot to cover on this, and mm-hmm. I'll say on the onset, and I think this is, uh, I think this is the um, kind of entry point on this. Drinking a barley wine is a commitment. It's one of the most non-beer beers. It absolutely you can, is. You can make and have. Yeah. 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 Well, we'll get we'll get started on that. So stick with us. We'll be right back. <laughs> We're back. We're talking barley wine. Specifically American barley wine. American barley wine. We're following BJCP category 22C. And as we said before the break, um, barley wine is a commitment. Barley wine is, as, as George had said, one of the least beer beers out there. Yeah. I stand by that. No, I, I, that's I, I echo that. That's, yeah. that's an excellent des- description. I have a, I have some past experience with barley wine, not a ton. I'm going to be relying heavily here on the BJCP uh, details, but I also have an interesting story about a brew day and a barrel age project, and I'll and I'll share it throughout uh, throughout this segment. But uh, before we before we get into that, let's uh, let's kind of talk a little bit about the style. Okay. Um, as George mentioned, um, there is a distinction. Uh, there's an American barley wine, the one we're going to be talking about. There is a separate one that's um, English-style uh, barley wine, mm-hmm. and that category is uh, 17D. And without going into a deep description of that one, um, let's talk about the differences between them. Uh, the American version of the barley wine tends to have a greater emphasis on hot bitterness, flavor, and aroma than the English barley wine, and often features American hop varieties. Typically paler than the uh, darker English barley wines, but darker than the golden English barley wines, differs from a double IPA in that the hops are not extreme, the malt is more forward, and the body is fuller and often richer. 
An American barley wine typically has more residual sweetness than a double IPA, which affects the overall drinkability. And in parentheses, sipping versus drinking. Well, I think that's where the whole wine part of barley wine comes in is because you you know you have that whole sipping versus drinking thing you have the whole usually serve it in like a tiny glass like i've seen it served in wine glasses before oh you know and that that would be very very fitting yeah and 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 so it has those aspects of you know the sweetness and things that they're talking about that gives it that wine character rather than a, a beer character well, and, you know, the ABV is going to be well within the range that you would expect a lot of wines to be. Absolutely. So, Speaking of which, do you want to do the statistics? Yes, yes. So um, your typical, I guess let's uh, let's color that in, the, uh, the ABV range of this is 8% to 12%. Mm-hmm. Not exactly what you would call a session beer. No. Quite far from it. No, and if you ever encounter anybody that made a imperial barley wine, run in the <laughs> other direction. <laughs> Um, original gravity range is 1080 to uh, 1.12. I always have to trip over myself whenever you get past the 1.1 <laughs> area of original gravity. 1080 to 1120. <laughs> it's, that, is, that is tough to say. It is, yeah. Final gravity, 1016 to 1013. 1030. Hey, uh, did I, I said 1013. You're right. 1016 to 1030. Yes, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, the yeast has its work cut out for them. Oh, yeah. On, on that style. Starter with multiple packets. Yep. Now, here's here's an interesting uh, here's an interesting part of the statistics. IBUs are 50 to 100. So the way I think about that is, I mean, number one, I mean, you're uh, they had comparisons to a double IPA in the style comparison. And with the IBUs being that high, it's it's a it's a point of conversation. I, I get where they're coming from with that. I do. Yeah. Um. The way I see it, I feel like the IBUs are as high as they are because it's got to give a degree of balance to just how strong the alcohol is. Yeah, I mean, there's it's it's fighting not only against the alcohol, which is what a double IPA usually is fighting against because right. the body's a little lower, but it's also fighting against a final gravity as high as 1030. I mean, that's, that's a huge amount of malt forwardness. Oh, yeah. So... You you know, and the and what you typically use, you you want to accentuate that malt forwardness, but without some sort of balance, you know, I mean, you're just gonna be eating bread. Yeah, you know, <laughs> well said. And and honestly, compare uh, you can compare you could say the same thing about an imperial stout too. Oh, yeah. IBUs on imperial stouts are with you know close to that range as well for that for that same reason. I've seen imperial stouts as high as like seventy five IBUs. Oh yeah, because. You know, that balance. I think that 75 is within range. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. Yeah. Uh, that leaves SRM uh, 10 to 19. So I don't have the numbers for Porter in front of me, but I think that's like one degree below the range you have you usually have for a Porter. As far as just blanket SRM, I think yeah. so, yeah. Yeah. So that that colors it in. Again, not a, not a session beer at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's move on to uh, aroma. Um, well, I, I guess the IBUs, you know, speak to that um, speak to that pretty clearly. But um, some details they have on aroma: the hop character is moderate to assertive and often showcases citrus, citrusy, <laughs> citrusy, fruity, or resiny New World varieties. Although other variants, such as floral, earthy, or spicy English varieties, or a blend of varieties, may be used. Rich maltiness with a character that may be sweet, 
caramely, bready, or fairly neutral. Low to moderately strong fruity esters and alcohol aromatics. However, the intensity of aromatics often subsides with age. Hops tend to be nearly equal to malt in the aroma, with alcohol and esters far behind. Hmm. You know, the way I look at that, in, in, you know, in both an aroma and in the next, you know, when we get to flavor, is kind of, you know, think about what you just said. You said that it can be fruity, that it can be earthy, that you, it can be, you know, um, what, what the heck else did you say? Floral and, you know, and, and that's the same exact like categorization and descriptions you would use for some reds and some whites in in the wine world. Yeah. And and it just speaks to how much this style is actually similar but you know markedly different but similar to wine styles. Agreed. No, that's no, that's a that's a very good point. And actually, I, uh, I'll I'll start to bring this up. I uh, I did have a brew day um, where I made a barley wine about a year and a half ago. It was late in the summertime. It was um, it was for a barrel barrel age project that our uh, that our Brewers Guild, the, the JBG, mm. uh, put together. And uh, as I told George right when we got started, um, I have five gallons of that sitting in a keg in my garage right now. And I've I just acquired it within the last couple of weeks. Okay. So, um, it, I mean, it was it was one of the craziest batches of beer that I've ever made. Yeah. It How'd was, the fermentation go on that? Fermentation went well. Um, there was a lot of extract in it. Oh, okay. Yeah, and and they uh, it was organized specifically with that because. And they were smart in doing this. They they knew that not every member was going to have a setup that was going to, you know, pump out a, you know, original gravity of 1.11, you know, on all grain alone. Right. So they had the right idea. And I'm, in, in retrospect, I'm really glad they did. Yeah, that's not hard. That's not easy to do for oh, even pros. Oh, God, no. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So what's the alternative? Bolster it with extract. Yeah. That's the thing, thing to do. It was a two and a half hour boil. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to say there was like three. Uh, I can't. Uh, I could probably look it up. I think there was three different hop additions during the boil, and then and then dry hopped with two different uh, with two different hops after fermentation. So they you dry hopped and then you put it into a barrel. Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder what that would do. To the um, to the to I mean, the effects if, of the of the uh, dry hop. Yeah, that's a that's a good point because I mean anything that's done there is gonna is gonna be overwhelmed by the by the barrel notes. Right. You'd almost think that if you're gonna dry hop, you'd almost think that you'd want to dry hop after the barrel. I think you'd run into the same thing. I don't I don't feel like any of that character would show through just because of the because of the alcohol notes. Well, there's that, but you know, the other part of why I'm worried about beforehand is that. You know, dry hop character doesn't last forever. And so how long was it in the barrel for? 15 months. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, (laughs) what chance does that have? Yeah, that's very true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and let's let's add a point to that. Um, Dry hopping... The effect, the main effect, of course, is the aroma. But Mm -hmm. are you kicking up your IBUs through dry hopping? Mm, 
because it's all post post boil. It's all post boil. It's really kind of immeasurably. Yeah, uh, no, that's it's that's not. that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. So I guess well, I'll I'll welcome anybody who tells me otherwise. But maybe that was a waste of of, of hops. I might. I, yeah, it's, it's a little surprising to me, but yeah, know, there might be a rhyme or reason to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well. So, when I when I finally get to get to try it, I uh, I'll talk about it more on the show. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I have five gallons of twelve to thirteen percent barley wine. I'm gonna oh, have geez. to do something with. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. Uh, appearance um, ten to nineteen SRM. I think we covered that covered mm-hmm. covered that pretty well. Let's move on to flavor. Here's the description of the flavor. Oh, sorry. One note on the SRM. Yes. Um, and the appearance, just because you had compared it to a porter, which is apt as far as like degree of color. But barley wines tend to be much more amber or copper than, you know, your typical porter, which tends to be have like that kind of more blackish kind of yeah. note to it. Yeah. You know, so you're gonna you're gonna be looking at it. Actually, kind of from a color perspective, it looks kind of like a cognac sometimes. I've, yes, yeah. That, that's a that's a great description. I, I maybe a little bit darker in, little in bit a lot, darker, of, lot but, of examples, but yeah, that is comparable. I like yeah. that. So yeah, but that's the only real note that I give there. Is yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna read off the uh, flavor notes. Strong rich malt flavor with a noticeable hop flavor and bitterness in the balance moderately low to moderately high malty sweetness on the palate although the finish may be somewhat sweet to quite dry depending on aging hop bitterness may range from moderately strong to aggressive while strongly malty the balance should always seem bitter moderate to high hop flavor as we talked about already mm-hmm. low to moderate fruity esters noticeable alcohol presence no kidding but <laughs> well but well integrated flavors will smooth out and decline over time but many oxidized characters should be muted may have some bready or caramely malt flavors but these should not be high roasted or burnt malt flavors are inappropriate here's a thought that i just had just from reading that can you imagine being a judge in a competition and being assigned this category? I, <laughs> Man, that'd be a task. That would be. Whoa. Yeah, and especially if you were like at one of the big competitions like Drunk Monk or something and you had like 12 different ones you had well, to sample. And like, in a competition like that, that's that's exactly what you would get. Yeah. I mean, I mean every, every category has a presence there. I, so, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the thing. When you're sampling like, you know, double IPAs or barley wines or, you know, and the, the other high alcohol ones. How do you get through that and not be like <laughs> toasted by? Because yeah, yes, you you don't drink the whole bottle. I get that and everything, but you have to sample, you know, each one. <laughs> so yeah, and, <laughs> you know. And I was I was thinking about some of the you know, what it what it said in there, and it said uh, noticeable alcohol presence. And you're that's where you chimed in. We're like, well, no duh, but well integrated. <laughs> Imagine if it was like you know high alcohol, but like. No alcohol presence. <laughs> like, how would that even be possible? Uh, you're I look right. At some of this stuff, and I'm like, yeah, okay, somewhat redundant. We get it, you yeah, know, <laughs> for, yeah, for for sure. But honestly, I mean, talking about the BJCP specifically, this is the stuff that they drill into their heads throughout the course of you know getting certified. Yeah, which we we still need to do, but that's a. I mean. We, we did here. I mean, it's a two-year commitment. It is, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff to be taken from that, but whew. yeah. I mean, this is this is the stuff that's, you know, right at the front of your your brain anytime you're you're trying a beer. I'm kind of reticent to actually do it because part of me doesn't want to catch all of those minor characteristic flaws as I'm drinking beer. That's like, a really good point. It's, it would kind of ruin craft beer for you because you become so hypercritical of everything right. you try. Yeah, I'd almost have to like compartmentalize my head and be like, this is the yeah. beer judge, beer snob yeah. part of George, and this is the one that likes to drink beer. Right. You know? Th- this, was, <laughs> this was made on a five-gallon homebrew setup versus, right. you, know, a, you know, a small... You know, seven barrel system or whatever. Right. So. Yeah. So, yeah. Should we talk about mouthfeel? We should. All right. You want to go through this one? Sure. All right. So, uh, a barley wine should be full bodied and chewy with a velvety, luscious. luscious. That's a. Whew, okay. With a velvety, luscious texture. This is not a romance novel. I mean, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> made love to that description. Uh, <laughs> with a velvety, luscious tes- texture, which may decline with long conditioning. Alcohol warmth should be noticeable but smooth. In other words, it shouldn't be hot. You know, it should be noticeable but smooth. Should not be syrupy and under-attenuated. Carbonation may be low to moderate, depending on age and conditioning. So, when you're talking about vols, like CO2 vols. Yeah. What are you thinking, like 2223? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, that's... You know what? I mean, I think think that sounds fitting. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I've certainly never had a carbonation heavy barley wine and yes that would not that would not be fitting. Um can you can you look up um yeast strains for barley wine? Yeast strains? Yeah, sure. That that I'm interested in. Sure, sure, sure. And just to go back to the vital stati- statistics for a second. Re- remember the uh, original gravity range is 1080 to 1.12 with a final from 1.016 to 1.030. As I said before, that's a chore for any yeast strain. So that's going to that's going to take a very specific process to yeah. get down to that. Yeah, this is this is not um this is not something where you can just like throw one in and hope for the best. Oh, no, not not even close. You know, this this one you you know, a couple things come to mind. We've talked at length about yeast starters on this show. Um, I'm a I'm a big proponent of it. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find a more appropriate style for a starter than this. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's not within your um, within the setup that you have, this is one where you really need to look at both doubling up on a on your pitch, and also you know absolutely plan to do a secondary. Oh, regardless of whether or not you, you're dry hopping or not, I mean, oh yeah. you're you're going to need every single moment of fermentation. Well, and that, you're going to have a ton of flocculation to drop out too, and so that that it, too. Yeah. This this style should be relatively clear. Uh huh. So yeah. you're going to definitely going to want to do a secondary. So, uh, Y yeast, our, our our buddies over at Y yeast have a couple different ones that they recommend for the style. Okay. Um, American Ale, the 1056, which is kind of a standard American Ale. Yeah. You yeah. know, 
God, that 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 does. Did they have some um, st- uh, stats on that on American Ale? Yeah, yeah no, 10, you're gonna need a bunch of them. I was gonna say ten fifty six does. I don't. I don't know that to be a have an attenuation so high that you could that, that could no. get the job. Well, done. it says flocculation low to medium attenuation seventy three to seventy seven. Uh, okay, ABV eleven so, percent. But that, I'm sorry, I don't buy. No, that no, I don't, I don't do. either. Yeah, not without it stressing those poor little buggers out. Yeah, you know? I mean, just that attenuation number just by itself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, seventeen twenty eight Scottish Ale. Uh, which could lend some interesting notes to it for sure. We've we've used that to make uh, we have we have before. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Ten eighty four Irish ale. See that that one too. I, I feel like that's a little on the weak side. No, for, I mean for this. Yeah, I mean none of these. Absolutely none of these would I say you need one packet and a starter and you're done. You know, I would say you definitely need more than one packet on this. Isn't there a strain that's more suited for for numbers this high? Uh, there are some high gravity ones. Yeah, high gravity. I think strains. I think those are the ones that. Have... Uh, let's see what White Lab says, because the other ones are basically like similar, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Barley wine ale strains, California ale yeast, English ale yeast, Irish ale yeast, British ale yeast, East Coast European, London. Let's see, premium bitter Scottish ale, Kelsh. That's weird. Why would you use a Kelsh ale yeast? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. That's right. I say Kelsh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's see what the AHA says. And in their forum. Okay. Someone says, I go with 1056. American Ale, the American first Ale. first one that came mm-hmm. up. What was the one that I used? Okay, I'll look that up. Yeah, keep. Yeah, so I mean, it, it, so here's the thing: is that I don't think there is a barley wine yeast. You know, this is one of those things that the yeast can be used as a part of the palate for you. That you can, you know, if you want those fruity esters, if you want those earthy tones, if you want just a clean, you know high alcohol malt forward beer and let the hops do the work you can pick you know the right yeast for the job and i think that's going to be what you but you know obviously you know, if you're using beersmith if you're using uh, uh brewer's friend whatever you're using to calculate how you should do this pay close attention because i think you're either going to need two three four packages or you know a sizable starter or you know, something yeah. like that to, in order to be able to do this effectively. So I found the recipe for uh, the barley wine I have, and the yeast uh, used for that recipe mm-hmm. was White Labs 001 California Ale. California Ale? Yeah. Okay. That's Two, a pretty clean one. Yeah. Yeah. Two packets. This one is probably pretty comparable to the 1056 that they're referencing. Mm, probably, yeah. I mean, so, yeah. I, man. That that seems kind of surprising, but you know, well, I get it why, is what it is. If you guys going to barrel age it, I get why you did it. Because you're getting a lot of the ex, ex, extra notes and everything from the from the barrel. Of course. Yeah, of so course. I get why you used like, just a kind of a neutral strain yeast. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know what? And the attenuation range of this uh, yeast, uh, just looking at the recipe, is seventy-three to eighty. So that's pretty high. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's actually a pretty good fit. Yeah. All right. All right. Stand, so I stand slightly corrected. You want to keep going? Let's do it. Which? How, uh, how about uh, how about history? History. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, history. This is usually one of the strongest ale offered by a brewery, often associated with the winter or holiday season and vintage date. Seems very fitting. It does, yeah. Not a a beer you're going to reach for in July. So, as with many American craft beer styles, it's derived from the English style, but using American ingredients and featuring a much more forward hop profile. And that's a very America thing to say, but it's true. <laughs> uh, one of the first American craft beer versions was Anchor Old Foghorn, first brewed in 1975. So it's a relatively recent um, American barley wine is a relatively recent, you know, development. That is, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Sierra Nevada Bigfoot, first brewed in 1983. Set the standard for hop-forward styles today. The story goes that when Sierra Nevada first sent Bigfoot out of out for lab analysis, the lab called and said, your barley wine is too bitter, to which Sierra Nevada replied, thank you. Let me reread that sentence, because <laughs> <laughs> that reads so fantastically. The story goes that when Sierra Nevada first sent Bigfoot out for lab analysis... The lab called and said, your barley wine is too bitter. To which Sierra Nevada replied, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a well, sentence. What I know of Sierra Nevada, that's a very Sierra, Sierra Nevada thing to do. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Pause. Uh, was I still ranting about um, that last history sentence? I think you finished your. We said I. Th- I think I. I said I, that it's a, that's a very Sierra Nevada thing to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which it absolutely is. Absolutely is. <laughs> so. All right. Well, the last section is ingredients. You want to do that one? Yes, I will. Well modified pale malt should form the backbone of the grist. Some specialty or character malts may be used. Dark malts should be used with great restraint, if at all, as most of the color arises from the lengthy boil. Mm. New World hops are common, although any varieties can be used in in quantity. Generally uh, uses an attenuative American ale yeast. All right. All right. That's further further backing up with the the American ale uh, strain there. Now okay. you, you you were like kind of when you when you read that dark malt should be used with great restraint. Well, I, I you know what I, I what I say is I where I was going with that is uh, I do feel like you need something to ensure that you're going to achieve that that SRM target. Oh sure, and I think where they're going is like black pack. 
patent or anything like that. Yeah, you know? may, maybe you're right. I mean, you could you could use a low amount of like a high Lova Bond caramel. So I'm thinking like a caramel sixty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, to because the pale malt should be the bulk of the grist, and you're gonna need a oh, of course. crap ton of it. Of course. Um, yeah. But then you know you're gonna need something, you know, and you don't want to use like a biscuit malt or a roasted malt because you're just gonna throw the palate off. So true. A caramel malt. But now I'm curious, what did you guys use? We had, yeah, this was a very light, um, well, I, I, again, there was a lot of extract in this recipe, so the, so the malt was, you know, mm, very you know, much, you know, much reduced because of that. So we had, uh, it, it was a five-gallon uh, batch, and the malts were strictly 10 pounds of, of two-row, and then one and a half pounds of caramel 60. Caramel 60. Nice call. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else was extract. Okay, but which what kind of extract? Uh, LME Golden. Golden. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's still pretty light. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of taken the place of even more mm-hmm. um, of the pale malt. Yeah. Yeah. Caramel sixty. That was a good call. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess we can close uh, close this off. And uh, wait, or did I get? Uh we talked about the other categories. Yeah, so we got the, so we talked about the malt. Um, you want to look up um, recommended hops? Oh, and I think that'll uh, I think that'll close us off. Recommended hops. So um, we got we got grain, we got yeast. Yeah, the hops is really kind of the last thing. I guess while George is looking this up, there are eight different entries for hops throughout this recipe that we put together. Now, there's a couple of repeats in here, but uh, yeah, yeah the, the hop edition uh, schedule of this was pretty wild. I think it would have to be. Otherwise, you're going to be like chucking them in all at once. Okay, so uh, you can use all kinds of hops in these brews depending on your taste. Traditional barley wines would use English hops such as uh, Fuggle Golding, First Gold, or Target. If you want to go for something more American, which who doesn't, really? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then you would go with our, or at least my, you know, favorite standard, Cascade. Uh Uh-huh. Chinook, or this person's favorite, Amarillo, which I've used with success before. Yeah, I made Um, IPAs with Amarillo. yeah. Would be appropriate. So, what'd you guys use? We've got a mix of Chinook, Cascade, Centennial, mm. and that's it. And Centennial, yeah, okay. just just different different editions at different times. I think Centennial is an American hop, isn't it? I think yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, I think there we, you go. I think we covered it. We did. Barley wine. Started off with the, saying this, and it's worth repeating. And I think it's a perfect closing note. It's a commitment. Mm, yeah. So go find yourself some barley wine uh, on draft if you can. I have a feeling this is one of those that is going to be even better on draft. I agree. Uh, if you can't, get yourself a bottle of it. Get yourself a nice cognac glass or yep. a tulip glass. Pour it in there and turn on heart of darkness or something and sip it for the rest of the rest of the night and don't make any plans and do not make any plans i don't know why did heart of darkness come into my head i, I, I don't know i just feel like you should it's be an like interesting bridge pull. over the river Kwai or heart of darkness or i don't know i like it though i'm, well I'm associating it with cognac in my head for some reason so yeah all right uh, category 22c well done yeah. all right
Let's take uh, take our last break. I've got a trivia question. So oh, don't, okay. don't go too far. All right. We're in the third segment, and still no beer has been consumed throughout the recording of this episode. Yeah, well, we're just drinking it ingredient by ingredient right now, because we have water, (laughs) so we just need to combine a few more things, and we'll have beer. (laughs) I guess that's one way to do it. (laughs) Welcome back. We just got done talking about um, uh, barley wine. Mm-hmm. American barley wine specifically. Mm-hmm. And I have a trivia question that is somewhat appropriate because we're talking about a beer style with a extremely high ABV. Okay. So along those lines, here's the question. And I'll say on the onset, I feel like the answer to this question is going to be somewhat controversial. And I'm a, I'm halfway thinking that I'm going to get an email saying you're wrong because I don't have a whole lot to back this up other than just what I what I found on a on a site. Okay. But the answer makes sense to me, so I'm comfortable presenting this. Okay. All right. Here's the question: What is the highest ABV that is achievable from fermentation alone? Oh, so and not like so without without dis- distillation, and... without the free the Eisenbach freeze process, right, right, without right. adding bourbon or anything like that. Fermentation alone. Do I get options? You got options. I got options. Okay. All right. Is it A fourteen percent, B eighteen percent, C twenty one percent, or D twenty eight percent? Now, okay, so I feel like, and I still, this is on my beer bucket list, if anyone wants to send me a bottle, but there is a beer from Sam Adams that Oh, it's is, called Utopia. Is in the neighborhood of 28. Yep. But I don't know if they achieve that by fermentation alone. I don't think they do. I think they do some kind of uh, boil down kind of reduction uh, process to that. So I'm going to say 21% final answer. Final answer. Okay. The answer is 18. 18. 18. Yes. Again, I don't have, unfortunately, I I don't have much to back this up, but I, I guess, I guess to color this in a little bit, there are a number of ways to achieve much higher, you know, oh, for sure. alcohol, you know, alcohol percentages. Yeah. Distillation, you know, it, just the heating process with that obviously is the obvious one. That's how you make vodka and rum and whiskey and things like that. Um, it's worth mentioning, too, the freeze process, the Eisenbach. The Eisenbach it, process, yeah. If anyone's not familiar with that, it's, it's basically distillation using freezing instead of heat. Right. So basically, you're you're freezing off all the non non alcohol elements in it, and you're bolstering up your alcohol just by preserving what's not frozen. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, you'll sometimes you actually even see it referred to as cold distillation. But yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you know this. I don't believe that's that process is legal. Is that correct? The Eisenbach process. 
I, I so, may be wrong about that. The rules, when you start getting into those sort of distillation techniques, the rules go a little squiffy because of, um, you know, trying to control moonshiners and things like that. That's a, you know what, that's a really good point. So legality, and, and, and as we all know, alcohol production and con- consumption legality while, varies wildly depending on where you are. True. Um, so I'm sure there's some place in the country where cold distillation is not legal. Yeah. I'm gonna have to, when we're done recording here, I got to I got to look that up. All right. Yeah. All right, so 18%. So I so I'm looking at that and wondering why is that the, you know, did you just get a point of diminishing returns or what why is eight, why is there a cap in the amount of um alcohol that can be produced per by volume and my my guess is that's just the nature of what yeast can do well i'm actually wondering if it's more the nature of what grains can do like in the conversion process you can only get so many sugars out of it well the same could be said for wine true True, you know, but I mean, wine yeast can, for, you know, can have a hundred percent, you know, attenuation. True, but even so, I mean, well, you know what? Okay, I, all right. Now I see, you see what, what I'm now, saying. Now I see what you're saying because, yeah, there's only so much sugar that you can get from natural elements, grain or grapes, right? Fermentable sugar of, too. Of wine. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. It'd you know a, what? That's yeah. a that's a really good point. Right. Well. But I mean, theoretically, you could bolster it with syrup. I mean, yeah. I feel like there's well, more. Yeah, to, I I mean, like, or 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 any extract. But, okay, so what was the exact question? The the amount that you can get from fermentation alone? Yes. So I guess the question there would be, what is their definition of fermentation? Use. I mean, my impression of that is using yeast alone. Yeah. Well, and that's a good point because, like, I just made my brute and I put in glucoamylase. Right. So is that no longer fermentation alone? Oh, no. Because there was that adjunct. That's absolutely fermentation alone. Absolutely. I mean, that fermented strictly with with the yeast. And it did get down to like 1004. I'm really excited about it. That's awesome. Again, I feel like that's a bit of a controversial question. I, I would welcome feedback on there. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of lot of points to that can be can be discussed within there. Yeah, attention, people that are smarter than us. Yeah, let us know. <laughs> there are many people smarter than me. Yeah. I, I'll say that. So bring it on. I'm I'm looking to get smarter all the time. I got a long way to go. Anyways, going to go into segment number three: tips from the semi pros. We're going to talk about cleanliness today. It's next to beerliness. Yeah, it's next to beerliness. So here, here's a way. Here's how I want to tee this up. The um, average time it takes to get through a five gallon five gallon brew day six hours. Do you think that's a fair? Yeah, fair depending on up? the depending on the style and the complexity, I'd say somewhere between four and six. Yeah. 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 And. It's worth mentioning that a huge chunk of that day is devoted strictly to cleaning. Oh, yeah. Whether whether preparing to get started or just cleaning up at, you know, you know, in the aftermath. Yes. That's very true. Yeah. It's so, an important part of what we do. Yeah. Let's talk about why, you know, why that is. 
Uh, you know, outside of just the obvious, you know, I mean, you, you know, does it make sense to be brewing beer, you know, which is later consumed on dirty equipment? Of course not. You know, that's, you know, that's just logic right there. But going deeper than that, there's specific, um, you know, cleanliness guidelines that, that any home brewer out there should follow. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, you're talking about reasons, and the, the primary reason is because what we're doing is chemistry mm-hmm. at, the, at, the, at the end of the day. And chemistry works by a series of reactants and, you know, elements inside of, you know, a suspension typically. And it, it, before you chemistry nerds get mad at me, that's a very generic description. I get it. But the <laughs> – the, the, you know, the thing with sanitizing everything is making sure that you're controlling those reactants and those variables and everything. So yeah. if you're, you know, if, you, if you're, if you're working and, and you have, you haven't cleaned, you say have mold that yeah. is going to contribute and be a reactant in that chemical process and is going to affect the beer in usually negative ways. Well said couple other things um i wrote down three things and and i think it fits very well with with what you just mentioned cleanliness can will prevent infection in your beer it will prevent off flavors and it'll also allow you to be consistent style by style Mm -hmm. that you're not you're not going to brew the same batch three different times and get radically different results because you know you weren't consistent with you know the you know the cleaning measures that you were taking Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. Is consistency becomes really important in that. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, um, going further, um, just an obvious step. Um, you know, the the cleaning process, um, you know, with with brewing equipment of all kinds is clean then sanitize. Yeah, two step process. Yeah, mm-hmm. and going one step further. Do not ever rinse after you sanitize something. Mm, when you depends on sa- what you're sanitizing with. Okay. Let's talk. Okay. Uh, well, do we want to talk cleaning first, and then we can do that? or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's, you guys all have to better. wait. But it gets good, I promise. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we're talking about cleaning first, not sanitizing, but just cleaning. And I have, I'll admit, I have a little bit of PBW envy here because Jason has a really big thing of PBW. Every home brewer should have PBW. Which I have, just not this massive jug of it. I, <laughs> that gets a lot of use here, I'll tell you. I'm sure. So, you know, and, and, and I bring that up because that is one of the things that you can use as a, as a home brewer for, uh, for cleaning. Um, you know, and it is super effective. Oh, yeah. And PBW, as far as, um, you know, there's two different methods of using PBW. One is kind of just general cleaning where um, you can mix it with hot water and go to town on equipment. And the other part, the other thing you can do is a caustic wash where you actually get it a little warmer what what would you usually get your water to in that for a caustic wash uh 120 no you wouldn't go higher than that uh well the range here is you can do you can do basic 
oh sorry if I misheard you. You can do basic cleaning with water at about one twenty, right? But, but the, to get a full get a full chemical bath, which is essentially what you're creating using uh, using PBW, it's one hundred and fifty. One hundred and fifty. I was thinking one hundred forty to one hundred fifty. So yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Um, yeah, so you want to get a little higher, so you, you know that's where your brew kettle comes in and things. Right. And so, but if you really need to do some deep cleaning, yep. You know, you get it up to that temperature. You you know let things soak and or or you know like I said, scrub go to town on uh, things with, at that temperature. It's going to eat away at um, you know pretty much everything that you would have in and on those systems. Um, and you know the nice part too is it's really safe to like run through your lines, run through your pumps, run through pretty much everything to make sure that you've cleaned it out. I'm glad you mentioned the point about lines and pumps. This is really the ideal solution to be to be cleaning those things. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, those are things that you you can't always access, you know, just with you know traditional soap and water and regular you know scrubbers and things mm-hmm. like that, because you know you're you know th- this is. You know, this is essentially a chemical bath. Anything that it passes through is going to, you know, have that cleaning effect. Right. Yeah, exactly. So um, can you think of, like, other... Oh, uh, other... other Techniques? uh, Other other techniques or other comparable uh, products? Well, techniques. Oh, um... Where where are you going? With this? I'm not. I, I'm I'm really asking the question. So if the answer is no, we can skip that. <laughs> no, no, I don't. Okay, think so. so so yeah, so we have uh you know your typical kind of you know soak it and um you know at a at a warm temperature or clean it at a warm temperature and then we have the deep clean kind of caustic clean. Mm-hmm. What is it called? CIP caustic in place. Yes. You know that you can do with PBW to really kind of get a deep clean and that if you have a pump pumping it through mm-hmm. will help with that because oh, it gets yeah. everything moving oh for sure yeah so so yeah so but like we said pbw expensive yes so what if you don't feel like spending eight hundred dollars on a thing of pbw okay well one alternative is th- there's a um you can find in most stores a product called um OxyClean, mm-hmm. yes, by the famous pitchman Billy Mays. But it, wait, there's more. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't. Um, the the chemical makeup of OxyClean is very close to uh, PBW, and I guess it's worth noting too that uh, the abbreviation PBW stands for Pro Brewers Wash. Right. So it's being marketed specifically to brewers. OxyClean is marketed to the public, um, but again, there's the the, the elements within it are very similar. Right. There's it's an oxidation um, oxidizing process in both of those to to clean it out. And exactly. Yeah. So so OxyClean can be used in similar ways. Right. Just not as effective. Exactly. So uh, other alternatives. Um, one may be tempted to use just traditional dish soap and hot water and just, you know, you know, scrub whatever whatever it is that you're that you're using. Here's the problem with that. Those soap elements are not gonna entirely go away. And the effect that that's gonna have on your beer is it's gonna eliminate the chance that your beer is gonna have effective head retention. Mm-hmm. And I speak from firsthand experience on that. I didn't discover this until within the last year. 
So basically every batch that I made prior to a year ago, I was, you know, using dish soap, dish soap for cleanliness. And I didn't draw the link that that's the reason why I wasn't, I would get this weird just foam that would just kind of swim around at the top of my glass. And I just chalked it up to, okay, it's a homebrew batch. (laughs) Then I went to a homebrewer's night here in Downers Grove and I learned. Yeah. So the takeaway from, from that is forget using dish soap entirely. Do not let that touch any of your brewing equipment Make the investment and use PBW, just or OxyClean, or OxyClean. Just yeah, it's it's worth the extra money. Trust me. Yeah, and 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 if you are using OxyClean, which is like like Jason saying a step up from PB from dish soap, but not quite as good as PBW. So it's you know kind of good, better, best kind of thing. Yep. Um, you know you're still going to see a big difference, um, but regardless of what you're using at this cleaning stage, if you're using dish soap. If you're using OxyClean, if you're using PBW, when you're done, the most important thing you can do, because it will affect your beer and could be potentially hazardous, is a thorough, thorough rinse of everything. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you rinse out all of your equipment. And if you did run PBW through your line, run hot water through your line, uh, hot, clean water through your line to make yep. sure that you've rinsed out all those uh well, if you don't Cleaners do that, if you don't do that, then it's going to leave a residue on your equipment that's very visible. Yeah, and it could, you know, affect the flavor. And yep. at, at a certain concentration, it starts to become detrimental. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely, lots and lots and lots and lots of rinsing. Yes. Exactly. At hot at hot temperatures. That's, hot that's temperature. an important part of it. Yeah. Okay. Should we move on to talk about sanitizing? We absolutely should. All right. Um, I don't know if there's an episode that goes by where we don't talk about star sand. I mean, I mean, listen, <laughs> I mean, it, there's no, there's no easier way to sanitize equipment in a homebrew setting than just getting, getting a bottle of star sand. There's a very easy ratio to do, you know, mm-hmm. star sand to just regular water. And then after you're done with your cleaning process, pour in the star sand, throw out the star sand and you've got sanitized equipment. Right, it takes about a minute. Yeah, and I mean it's about as cut and dry as you know as it can can be. Right, in my house, I've got two things of because uh, star sand comes in a concentration, and it takes about just shy of a quarter ounce to a gallon of water. Yep, and so I have a gallon of water at all times that I can you know just pour in and into a keg and shake the crap out of it to sanitize it and do that. And I've also got a spray bottle filled with yes sa- star sand yes and that's really good for like spraying down and sanitizing a um a uh <laughs> a lot of stuff like, well b- yeah a lot oh. of stuff but gravity wand is the wrong word but it's what's in my head to oh, like measure the, the gravity the oh oh the uh, 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 hydrometer hydrometer <laughs> thank yeah. you yeah a hydrometer and you know elements like that uh, it's really good for sanitizing those and spraying it down right yeah. right your cylinders you can use that for mm-hmm. or how about if you're moving from a keg to a bottle which we do mm-hmm. you can sanitize your uh, your caps that way just a quick blast just in the spray, spray bottle that's yep. it yeah and the nice part about star sand is it actually acts as a not it's calling it a yeast nutrient is probably going a little too far but it does act as it, it does help to kind of bolster the yeast process and things now, so this i did not know yeah so it's 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 not 
as you know, it's not a replacement for yeast nutrient yeah. or anything like that, but it okay. does help that process along. So, uh, mm-hmm. and which is one of the benefits to, like you're saying, star sand, of just being able to leave it in, and and why you do not rinse after you use star sand. You just dump it out and go. Well, and w- the bigger part of that is because I mean, this is going to sound a little crazy, but it's true. Um, once you add water to you know to, to anything that you're using you're introducing bacteria water you itself water itself are, is yeah. not you know is not sterile is not you know is not neutral mm-hmm. every water has a different mix of of minerals elements not to mention every city's water source is coming from a different place and you know what their process is you know before being you know delivered to you know to the general public is entirely different so, right. you know, th- that's, you know, well, you know, obviously it, it's tempting just to say, oh, just rinse it out and just be done. Mm-hmm. You got to think again about that. Yeah. And, and, and it's why those kind of leave-in um, sanitizers and Star Sand's by far the most popular, but there's a few other ones out there. Um, they usually have the word San in their names. Um, but the, you know, those ones... That's why they're very popular, because you don't have to worry about recontamination or anything. Right. Um, but there are other ways to sanitize your equipment. I was going to mention that. Let's go beyond star sand. So there's other ways to sanitize. Let's, there are other ways to those. sanitize. And one of the popular ways um, that people overlook sometimes is um, bleach. So how exactly is that done? So how that's done, that's done, you actually use bleach sometimes as part of a concentration and so you kind of dilute it with water um same way you would make a gallon of star sand water i don't think it's as drastic because bleach like clorox bleach standard clorox bleach is not concentrated you don't want to dilute it dilute it too much but you can you know mix it with some water right uh and if you're really paranoid about it i mean bleach kills everything (laughs) it just does um but the deal with it is uh you do need to remember to rinse everything out at you know pretty thorough with for thoroughly afterwards because you know it 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 will you know you'll you can have that bleach smell that which is nasty yeah which is nasty and you can have those kinds of uh elements that can get into your into your beer if you don't um but the good news about bleach is because it's so damn persistent any of that bacteria that's in that water that you're rinsing it out with is going to die right along with it so you know a lot of people use bleach for especially for glass equipment like carboys and 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 such because it doesn't adhere to that like it potentially might with plastic and and you can rinse that out and you can make sure that it gets rinsed really well well said i'm looking here to see if i can find what the ratio is to making a sanitized solution with bleach i think it's a little bit of uh i don't think it i don't think there's a uh, like a two to one or you know or anything like that you just really? have to because uh, i mean if you you honestly can just pour bleach into your carboy like that would be super strong but is that in itself going to create you know a sanitized carboy oh yeah just by itself oh just, yeah just with the bleach alone. oh okay yeah no it right. absolutely will it just would be 
you're going to be rinsing for days because you're trying to get all of that out of there, which is part of what diluting it somewhat helps to control. As you well, and can, that's what I'm interested in. What what you know? What is that ratio that makes that solution that's you know more usable than just pouring straight bleach in? I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. That's, I don't know. I, I personally, I've never used bleach for yeah. sanitizing. Yeah, uh, we got introduced to Star San early and kind of never looked back. It, it, yes. So um, I would, and I would advise. I mean, for a new home brewer, that would be the direction that I would veer them in. Get right. some Star San. I would not. It, that would not be at the top of my list as far as to what I would advise somebody to, to do to sanitize something is use bleach. No, it wouldn't be at the top of my list. And while PBW is one of those steps that you take when you when you get serious and you want you're willing to spend some equipment some money on your on your stuff and whatnot, Star Sand is the exact opposite. You'll get a bottle of Star Sand for five bucks and it'll last you for you know months. Yeah. So because uh, it's, it's super concentrated, you only use a quarter ounce per gallon. And I mean, that's it. That's it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it lasts forever. Yeah. So I think in my time of making beer, I've gone through two, maybe three bottles of Star Sand. Wow. Yeah. So. <laughs> so in your home brewing career, you've spent a whopping twenty dollars to sanitize. Yeah, your, and, your and I might be. I don't. Yeah. I don't remember exactly how expensive Star Sand is off the top of my head because I haven't had to buy it for a while but you know i think that I'm, i think that paints a pretty good uh, good picture for everybody yeah. is for twenty dollars you have three years worth of sanitized equipment okay so i lie or, or or this is expensive i don't know which is true but uh on amazon it goes for sixteen dollars for that's the uh, big one that's for big one that's for 16 ounces so an eight ounce one is 12 50 so again you're using a quarter ounce per gallon and you can reuse it okay so not twenty dollars thirty six dollars yeah but whatever you know exactly. still not exactly. that expensive for you know a couple years worth of use my whole point yeah <laughs> so so that's that's the thing cleaning is a two-stage process mm -hmm. clean the crap out of it sanitize the crap out of it yep and i've seen people now these granted these some of these are paranoid people who are just really people that at the beginning of a brew day don't really want to have to worry about cleaning where at the beginning of the day they will clean and sanitize at a very low level and at the end of the day they will clean and sanitize pretty thoroughly and then they'll cap it off and so they have you know a, a bottle or or, or, what, or a keg or what have you that has already been sanitized and just needs to be hit up with a quick refresh yeah before the next brew day mm-hmm Good point. It's also worth noting that um, the most important time is post-boil. Because basically any any bacteria that's left in your beer post-boil is going to throw off your beer. And that's, yeah, that's actually a really good point because the act of boiling helps to sanitize. So you want to make because sure that... Because all that bacteria is getting burned off by the boil. Right. So you want to make sure that your mash tun is clean and your lauder tun is clean, but you don't necessarily need to sanitize those. Right. Um, but, you know, anything post-boil, your hydrometers, your cylinders, your right. kegs, your carboys, your whatever, your fermenters, your, your whatever, your spoons, mm -hmm. you know, all that stuff should be sanitized before it touches your beer. One, one thing to touch on as well, all those elements are important, but the one thing that you cannot forget is your tubing. 
Yes. Because how many times does your beer transfer after the boil is complete? Depending on depending, depending on your on overall your... process, it's at least twice. Right. You're going you're going from a kettle to a fermenter. You're going from a fermenter to a kettle. Sometimes to a secondary. Sometimes to a bottling bucket. Right. You know this. You know there can be a number of things, but it's at least two. Um, I feel that tubing is probably one of the areas where where people are most likely to overlook. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, it's easy to sanitize the outside of something. Exactly. But, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess one point about that is it it's that's it, um, everyone should remember is you're not going to use tubing forever. You sure. know, be a uh, there, there should be kind of a uh, I'd love to throw this out. There should be kind of a lifeline for tubing as far as to how many brew days you can you know, lifespan. You can, yeah, yeah uh, you can effectively use it for. Yeah, and I'd be interested to see what some thoughts on that are because. Let's let's work on that. I'd I'd love to give that give that advice. And another yeah. thing about that, and we talked about how cheap star sand is. Tubing's not expensive either. No, and it's you easy know, it's to like have a, a ton of it around. Yeah, I mean, you know? it's a few cents per you know per foot. Right, right, right. And it's right. widely available too. You can you can go to a hardware store and get it. Yeah, and you know what? I change out my tubing like periodically, I but yeah, I've I never really different... thought about how long I let it be used for before i change it out that's an interesting let's color that let's color that in i've got three different sizes of tubing throughout the house here so (laughs) we've talked before about you know racking methods i think we have but you know if we haven't uh using a racking cane is a giant pain in the ass so um i recommend you know the auto siphon device Mm -hmm. uh and i know jason uses it as well Mm -hmm. um in order to make sure that the interior of that device, as well as the tubing, is um, sanitized, what I do when I'm going to uh, sanitize my fermenter and I want to pour the star sand into the fermenter, what I do is I put it up on a counter. I put the auto siphon inside the um, the the gallon, yeah. and I siphon from the gallon into the fermenter. Mm-hmm. That way, I'm so it goes sanitized. through the tubing and uh-huh. then sanitizes the fermenter. No, that's that's an excellent thing to do. Yeah, and then and then you know you've sanitized the interior of that, mm-hmm. and then when you transfer your beer in after you've you're done sanitizing your fermenter, you know, yeah, job's done. Yeah, you know, so yeah. I'll absolutely echo that it's way use easier using the auto siphon than a racking can. <sighs> it's not even it's not even close. I did it once. Giant pain in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my one critique of the auto siphon is they they're not exactly durable. <laughs> yeah. But you know they could be more durable, that's yeah. true. But it, I mean that one too, not overly expensive. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of plastic. That's all it is. Right. It's I think it the auto siphon is like maybe ten dollars. Something like that. But yeah. you'll use it if unless you're like throwing it around, you'll use it for a couple of years before you have to replace it. Exactly. Yeah. So Except those little caps at the bottom, I can tell you. I'm oh gosh! <laughs> I tell you, they they have made so much money off selling those aftermarket. The those, little caps. those little plastic tips that uh, that sit yeah. on the bottom of those. Yeah. How many times? <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I mean, how many times does one replace that? At least three times. <laughs> I know. Yeah, because that's that's the thing. It gets stuck in something. Exactly. You, it's you a, accidentally it's a weird, throw it away. It's and, a weird design, just by itself. Just the fact that it, you know, it's built, you know, in a way that it can detach so easily. I think it's to make cleaning easier, and I get it. Yeah, but, maybe you're right. Yeah. Nah. Uh, back to cleaning yes that, right. that's a very fair point right 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 yeah. so 
But yeah, so I mean, that's I know it's it seems like somewhat of a mundane topic, but it's so important if you want consistency, if you want good clean beer, if you want to you know, really up your game as far as your your home brewing, and if you want to go to competitions, uh, yeah, that's I mean that's a point that that should be touched on as well. Mm-hmm. This stuff does show up if you submit a beer to a competition and you don't have these steps perfected yeah that's true yeah did we miss anything no i think we hit that pretty you know pretty thoroughly okay well done all right george it's great having you here man yeah yeah second show in a row i I feel spoiled here (laughs) doing doing february's episode without you here is gonna be a little sad i know i know (laughs) well we'll do the the online thing and with you recording here because the online thing doesn't work for you for some reason. <laughs> yeah, very, <laughs> very strange. So, well, let's. Uh, th- these are two points to come back to. I think we should ki- uh, color in the lifeline of uh, of tubing. Mm-hmm. That's one thing, and then uh, the second one was what did we talk about earlier in the sh- in the in the show. We talked about the tubing, and we talked about oh, the bleach concentration. Yes. Yeah. Another two two points to come back to. Yeah. Good deal. Yeah, we will. That'll wrap up uh, January 2019's episode of A Nice Place to Brew. Thank you for uh, thank you for listening. Uh, check us out on social media. We've got pages on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, we are available on all podcast platforms. Um, I don't know whether you're listening to us on uh, SoundCloud or iTunes. We're also available on Android podcast apps, Google Pl- uh, Google Play, and Stitcher, uh, and Stitcher, mm-hmm. and uh, and many others. So check us out, uh, and we look forward to hearing from you and uh, and ke- keep an eye posted for future shows. All right, this is going to sound weird with plastic, but we'll close this off and raise a glass and say, "It takes a lot of good beer to make great beer." Cheers. Cheers.